Hello and welcome to the Fresh Start Podcast, the show where we share success principles, explore the stories, experiences, and journey of real people in order to provide newcomers with strategies to succeed. My name is David Ojeinka. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Temi Odessoya. Temi has expertise in analytics capabilities and technologies transformation services and delivers a range of analytics integration in maximizing client resources to improve business performance and value proposition across several industries, spanning financial services, retail, hospitality, telecommunications, manufacturing, and technology. Temi specializes in business intelligence, advanced analytics, process automation. Temi received a Bachelor of Science in Management Innovation Systems, a postgraduate degree in Salesforce and Customer Relationship Management Analytics, and a Master's in Management Business Analytics at the Ivy School of Business at Western University. Please join me in welcoming Temi Odessoya. I'm so excited to have you on the show today, Temi. Thank you. I'm super, super excited to be here. You had your Bachelor of Science in Management Information Systems, and then you came to Canada to do your Master's in Management and Business Analytics. The question so many people might be having is, okay, I'm coming to Canada. Why do I have to go to school? Why can't I just use my degree from my home country to get a good job in Canada. Can you take us through your journey and how you made that decision? Okay. My own background is an interesting one. So right from secondary school, aka high school here in Canada, every year my parents made it a responsibility to um, take us across different countries just to gain exposure and orderliness. And at the end of each travel, my parents would ask us to ride or mention what we observed. And what I found very attractive was the automated trains, the Mm -hmm. ticketing systems, um, the agriculture, because I saw back in in, um, primary school, I used to see white cows that had black spots, Mm -hmm. but I'd never seen them in Nigeria. So I was very fascinated when I saw a cow like that after, um, after one of my travels. Yes, in Netherlands. So it was, it was, I already had those great ideas of what I wanted to do right from secondary school, Hmm. but I couldn't articulate what it was, but I I had, I had a vision in my head. Anyway, after my undergraduate in Covenant University, my parents encouraged us to go abroad to study. So they wouldn't obviously let you travel abroad without doing your first degree in Nigeria because they think you're, you're not well matured to, to go out of the country. So it was time for me to choose where to go. And I chose Australia. So I applied to different schools in Australia and not Canada. But my brother was coming to Canada. So I just applied for college, but I knew I was going to Australia. Mm-hmm. Anyway, two months to resumption, my parents found out that I had applied to a school in Australia and they got very, very angry. So I had to can't I had to like cancel my applications and of course I had to come to Canada because it made more sense from a pure perspective and changing your passport. I've been traveled outside country as Nigerians. There's a lot of racism. Um, we got a lot of denials. We got searched so many times and it it wasn't just a it wasn't just a good thing. So my parents are like, you know what, 
you need to go out there you need to see how things are done mm-hmm. you need to see you need to see what people do and the innovations that are out there so that it would help you broaden your vision for your life mm-hmm. and that's how i came to canada i got my admission uh my visa and i came to canada within a month in this mm-hmm. like this was december when things were taking so long so it was actually god ordained because on a normal day i don't think people get all those things in one month mm-hmm. yes. you said that you came to school in canada did you come directly for your master's degree or um what did you come into canada to do so um when my brother applied here i applied to college just if my parents would ask so i applied to um seneca college to do a graduate uh postgraduate degree in salesforce and customer analytics now i didn't know what i was getting into i applied for that class because i did my back in my bachelor's i did my internship at british american tobacco in nigeria and one of my managers gave me the microsoft uh business intelligence textbook to read so i was actually reading that in my third year and i was interested in that and i had one and then after during my nyc which is the youth service where you have to either teach or work i worked but during that time i applied for um, um a milani technology conference it was a stem conference and I won a scholarship to go to Italy to study for a week. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of partners, Italian government, Microsoft, um, uh, Microsoft, Damini. I can't remember the name, but there were a lot of companies. Mm-hmm. And they took us across different spectrums of data science, of AI, of um, automated agriculture systems. So I was blown away. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to want to study something in analytics. That's why I applied to Seneca to, to study that for college and mm-hmm. master's to, to study that in Australia. But I ended up coming to Canada anyways. Okay. So did you do your master's right after your college program at Seneca College? Yes. So I did my master's. Um, so, I, so I spent eight months at Seneca College mm-hmm. and I wasn't interested in data science because my statistics wasn't good. And it was very difficult for me and very challenging. I, 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 I kind of got it, but then at the same time, I was so struggling. So I just decided that, you know what, I'm going to write the Salesforce certification while in school. And thankfully, we, we had the opportunity to um, intern at different companies. So far, you got a three out of a four GPA. Mm-hmm. So I got an internship at a company here in Canada, and I was you know, really interested in Salesforce. I took the certifications, but behind the scene of developing Salesforce systems, because I also worked as, I was building um, enterprise resource planning systems back in Nigeria during my NYC, and also um, doing a lot of web analytics for the, the, uh, the startup I was working in. So I was, I could code, and while I was, you know, working on Salesforce, I still realized that it was Salesforce back then before Einstein was introduced, which is the AI tool, was very generic and not really customized to suit um, personalized needs. So I just decided that, you know what, there is, there's a lot of opportunity in data science because everyone keeps making softwares that are not, uh, that don't customize messaging in real time. So I decided to then go to IV to study data science. And I chose IV because I didn't want to be a 
technical data scientist. I wanted, I wanted to be a business data um, analyst mm-hmm. or scientist, if you call it that, because I wanted to apply analytics problems into business. I wanted to wear both the business hat and then the data science hat at the same time. So you never had any Canadian experience except the one you did for your internship after while you were at Seneca College, correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So right after Seneca College, you went straight into the Master's in Management Business Analytics at Ivy School of Business? Yes. Okay. And how did you transition from um, being a student to being a professional? So uh, I'll, I'll take this back to before I, I landed in Canada. Okay. When I knew I was coming to Canada, um, I'm a Christian. My family were all Christians. Mm-hmm. I went down my knees and told God that I would never look for a job. And God has, if there's one thing I have never struggled with, is looking for a job, mm-hmm. even right after my bachelor's. So you do eight months in class. Sorry, you do you do full eight months in class. Mm-hmm. You do four months working at a company. So they have partnership with companies here. And then you spend time also working with another organization during your final four months. So you do a business project. Mm-hmm. And while I was in Ivy, my first four months, we had a case competition that was sponsored by um, Deloitte and Scotia Bank. So it was one of their same business problems they wanted us to solve and we're putting groups. So we spent about, we're using SaaS and we spent some time in school learning the tool. And meanwhile, I got introduced to the SaaS platform, the SaaS analytics platform right from college. So it wasn't really hard for me to pick up. Anyway, we ended up at Deloitte to present. And I remember the judges asking my team questions and the help of God, I was able to answer those questions. And because of that, my team won. So we, so we had the opportunity to apply for, for jobs right from our first four months in school. Hmm. So I applied for a job at Deloitte and other places. I wanted to go into, I wanted to actually work at CGI, not Deloitte. CGI was my dream job because CGI was opposite was on the way to Seneca College Markham campus. So I always took that CGI and told myself I was going to work there every single day, even though my life was miserable back then when I came. Mm-hmm. And so I just still applied for Deloitte. And thankfully, I got selected. Uh, I got the full-time offer in June, which is like six months into my master's. So even before I finished my master's, I already had an offer. And also, I while at Ivy, I interned at Bell Canada in their graduate leadership program. And I also got an offer from Bell, but I turned it down to go to um, Deloitte. So after school, um, it was an easy transition to start work. Okay. You, you said that life was miserable when you were at Seneca College. Can you take us through um, that experience? That's a, that's a very, very great question. So when I came to Canada, my parents had not been here. Um, so my brother and I, 
we traveled together. My brother went to Ottawa while I came to Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting out of getting out of, out of the plane and it was so cold. But that wasn't really my problem because, you know, they tell you as, as Niger, make sure you wear plenty sweater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I was well kitted and the cold wasn't really, really my problem. It was just, where was I going? Where was I going to sleep? I didn't have any friend in Canada that I could call at that time. And I don't even have an idea of the school I applied to. I just saw, like, I just got the admission and decided to come. So when I got into, so I got to the hostel because I got, I, I got a place, uh, my parents paid for a place on campus for me. And first of all, the food was cold. I'm more, <laughs> I'm more used to eating cold food because my dad likes it fresh and hot. So when food enters the freezer, after a few days, we don't eat it. Right? So imagine then coming to Canada where um, there's a lot of people are doing, a, like there's a lot of work to be done. So people try to, people try to, um, people try to make their life easier. Mm-hmm. So cooking fresh meals every day, you know, going mm-hmm. to the market and buying fresh meals every day. I don't, I don't really think we have the luxury here, mm-hmm. but moving on as a student, I obviously did not have that luxury because my schedule was packed and my parents didn't really want me to work because they wanted me to focus on school and prove that I was ready for them to pay for my master's. So I guess I, I, I came to Canada and then I got to the classroom. Um, it was very, very difficult for me because one, we're just very few Nigerians and two, the accent was an issue for people. People couldn't really hear you and people didn't want, didn't want you to be in your group because you were black and you were African and Nigerian. There's, there's a stigmatization around Nigerians here, which isn't the best. And it's something that I, that I, I, I hope people can learn. So having that stigmatization and really back home, we were not, we we're not really taught to express ourselves because we don't question, well, I say express yourself and question things because it's, it's a bit rude to question authority, mm-hmm. to ask why. It's also a bit rude to ask your leaders why they do things that they do. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's, it, there's a, you're very fearful when it comes to rejection. So meanwhile, here, the society, you need to express yourself to move ahead and have a good life. Mm-hmm. And the emotional and mental stress isn't emphasized enough so you get into class it's really difficult for me to ask questions even though i don't understand because i don't want to look like the dumbest person in the room Mm -hmm. and my classmates have issues with my accent and people just and then it kind of validates that i'm dumb Mm -hmm. so it was really really hard for me to grasp what i was being taught in school and at the same time again the food i went from a size eight to a size two i lost so much weight I had reactions to the tap water here because even though I always traveled, maybe we travel like one to two months outside Nigeria, we always came back home and we always sleep at home. We don't, we don't go to somebody's house to sleep. That's, I wasn't raised that way. So my body adjusting to the water, to the weather, I had rashes all over. Um, I, I started reacting to the chlorine in the tap water and my throat, my tonsils will swell for two weeks and I didn't get any medication because they say it was viral. So I got to understand the difference between viral infections and bacterial infections. And they just tell you to take painkillers. 
but I wasn't even really used to taking painkillers. So for about three years, I would have a lot of spots on my body. I would have a lot of reactions on my face. I would go to the doctor's office and they would tell me, your skin just needs to adjust. So the healthcare system here wasn't really, really tailored. It's not really tailored for black people and particularly Africans, I'll be honest. And the food wasn't the best, but as time went on, because I was also in, um, in Yunnan, we didn't have a lot of Nigerian stores around us. So it was really hard for me to eat. So I had to open, start opening my taste buds to different foods. I never used to eat burgers. I never used to eat flour, <laughs> cakes and snacks and, and teamies. I didn't like that. And the first time I came to Canada, I walked into Team Mountains and I asked if they had rice. <laughs> yeah i definitely asked if they had rice so it, it was a lo- it was a shock the culture <laughs> shock was also there for me you know and i i struggled through this the so i also remember my parents gave me because they gave me allowance every month and you know we have budgets and i went back to my parents and said you forgot to add taxes <laughs> add 50 percent tax to every of my budget my parents are like sorry that's on you We've already given you money. You need to know how to to um, to manage yourself. So I never lacked anything in terms of like financial wise, but it was very tough emotionally and and stressfully. And um, back to one of my internships too. I told you I go by the name Timmy instead of Timmy Lulua here, mm-hmm. and it's something I'm struggling with to see if I should call myself Timmy Lulua because I remember my first manager walking into the room. And saying, I thought you were Russian because you had a lot of consonants in your name. And then he smiles and walks away. (laughs) I didn't know how to take that. Mm. So, and when people try to pronounce my name, it's a massacre. I'm like, no, if I can learn to pronounce a Ukrainian's name, because I ask, you should learn how to ask, uh, you should learn how to pronounce my name. So all of these little cultural differences put a lot of emotional stress on me. Mm. Now, let's go back to a statement you made. You said you never had a problem getting a job. Some people might hear that and say, okay, Temi, that's, that's good for you, right? Yeah. You, yeah. you never had a, a problem getting a job. But that's not practical, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's take us through the process of landing your job at Deloitte, what was, how did you prepare for the, for the case studies? How did you prepare for the case interviews? How did you handle the behavioral questions? What's your advice for somebody who might be thinking of going that route? Okay. That's a good question. So first of all, I, I have always known this, that you need to offer value to everyone you meet Mm -hmm. and the mistakes a lot of people do is they bring their job they they substitute their their value Mm -hmm. for the job description so when you see an average resume Mm -hmm. you see a job description not a value Mm -hmm. and this is something that people really need to work on so when i came to canada I, from my third month, I started applying for jobs to test the market. So I wasn't looking for a job. Mm-hmm. I didn't need a job at that time because I didn't even have a work permit. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to see what the market was asking for. Mm-hmm. 
And when I study, I'm a more practical person than theoretical person. Mm -hmm. So if you, I don't want to be in a lecture where you're teaching me how to build a house without practically showing me what materials goes into building a house. So right from school, my focus was, you know what, what is the practical aspect of this class I'm taking? What can I do? Does it align to what I really like? And then I tend to focus on that. So if I was giving an assignment, Mm -hmm. I would go and read articles on, um, uh, I remember we had an assignment where it was build a database system and I know how to build a website. I know how to build a database. I wasn't really good at, you know, designing, having the, uh, the, having the, what is the word now? Having all the diagrams look pretty. Mm-hmm. That, that was in me. And that's why I also struggled in, in Deloitte too. When I got in there, I was rather the coder. Mm-hmm. So I would look up, articles and on the um on Deloitte's website pwc website accenture was my favorite and i would see what they did with that topic as a business case for the clients and then i will add something extra that they mentioned into my assignment and then i start that as my portfolio so even though i had an assignment at the same time i was building my portfolio Mm-hmm. And that was very practical to me. So I had an idea of what the market was looking for because I read a lot of these business cases. I saw what kind of skill set they, they wanted. So the jobs I was interested in, I was actually taking my classes and make sure I also ensuring that I was tailoring it or customizing it to that. Mm-hmm. So moving forward, when we have the case competition and apply for the job, I remember taking my assignments to the, I printed it out to the job interview and I sat down there. I had um, behavioral questions and technical questions. My technical question was a walk in the park. My behavioral question was where I, I faulted for the job I got. And um, I remember I also did another interview where I took the wrong bus home because I, I actually flopped at that interview. Mm-hmm. I flopped. So I took the wrong bus home, but the other one I did, because it was the same company. The same Deloitte? Yeah, the same Deloitte. Okay. Um, um, the other one I did, I actually took my use cases. And then I remember the interviewer telling me, oh, I'm writing an R code. What do you think I'm doing? And I was so excited. I was telling you, hey, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. This is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. What is the business case? It was my first question before I went straight into his code. And I was asking him, what is the business case? What are you trying to predict? Who are the customers? So I was bringing fresh application into the code he was writing rather than interpreting his code to him right there. So it was actually a long discussion and very enjoyable. So I was able to go through that. Now, my behavioral question was very difficult because um, he was challenging every single thing I said. One of the questions was, how would you prioritize your task? And I told him, um, if I can remember really well, I'll prioritize it based on first the the impact of what that process um, is. So you know, is it is it a high impact to the business? Second of all, is my input going to be an input for somebody else? You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and then the third thing was what was the timeline I had? And the guy told me back then that what if everything is the same? 
what will you do next? <laughs> so I got caught off guard, but Ivy taught us that when you go to an interview, take a cup of coffee. If they ask you a question you don't know, you sip coffee because you, you give yourself one second to think. So <laughs> that's the key right there. Um, that helped me answer that question where I didn't dive further into, okay, walk me through some of the tasks that you think. Um, um, walk me through some of the tasks or some of the um, some of the scenarios so I could be very practical in my answers. So that, that helped me get through most of my um, interview phases. Now, when it came to interviewing with senior leadership, these people don't have time. And mm. I've been taught that right from, from Seneca days and Ivy days. Ivy emphasized it so well. Now, these people don't have time. So when you're going to meet them, you need to provide value. But at the same time, a lot of senior leaders get asked very serious questions. So it's always good to ask questions about themselves to not just the job because they're used to people coming at that angle. So I looked up my interview or any interview I'm going for. I look you up on Twitter. I look you up on Facebook. You could call it creeping, but I look on Facebook. I look you up on LinkedIn. And um, I look you up on some of the articles that you've also written because that will tell me what you're concerned about, what you love, and what matters to you. So I remember one of my interviewers had a cat, and she also walked that bell. So I brought in the pet because we had about seven dogs back home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was able to relate to the pet story with her. And also working at Bell, I was able to also relate to that. So it was a good chat to have. I remember the other interview I had, my final senior leadership interview, I was more concerned on, is this a place for me to achieve my dream and hire me, I'm the best person. And I think we have to, it, it takes a certain level of, um, a certain level of, of confidence, but at the same time, a certain level of, of you providing value for you to be able to ask that question. So I was asking him, here's what I want to do. Do you think you have projects? that I could take to be able to build up my skill set in that. And the guy was really impressed because everyone comes to him as, hi, I'm I'm the best person, but I came to him with, hey, this is what I want to do. I need to learn from people. Is this a good place to learn? So it was a way for me to differentiate myself. And I was able to get um, an offer. And back at Bell, I remember I was, I, I loved my work that I was doing. So I was focused on how do I use data science to improve customer experience through the call center, through the retail center. And this where it was very exciting because we got to go into the stores to interview people. I sat on call center. I started, I, I worked at the call center for, for a few months. I had the lowest stats in terms of um, the average uh, time spent on the phone because I will make sure that I understand the customer's needs before I, you know, I sell them anything or I, I try to solve their issues. So that way I was able to identify the pain points that people were having and also come up with solutions on how they could improve their system. And when I left, I had a chat with, with uh, someone who said that they actually implemented one of the things that, that I mentioned to the director back then. So to land a job, you have to go past your job experience to what value you provide. And what value you provide comes from reading about the company, seeing where they're at, that their balance sheets, where they're putting their money, is in research, is in uh, they're spending a lot on facilities. So that way you know what kind of use case and what kind of experience to tailor, um, to tailor your your response to when they ask you questions 
and that way you be, they need you because everyone that hires you actually needs you they hire you because they have certain skill set that they don't have that they need somebody to complement so it's 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 better to go into an interview with that mindset than the mindset of pick me I'm the best I'm the best person but instead pick me because I can make your life and the company and your job much better so still on the statement of never had a problem getting a job. Yeah. So are you saying that you've, all the jobs you've applied for, um, you've gotten interviews and you've gotten offers, but you had to reject them or um, you've had rejections. Um, you've applied for jobs that you never heard from them. Explain that better to us. Yeah. So all the jobs, not all the jobs I applied to, I got an interview for, I obviously got rejections, but all the jobs that I've gotten interviews for, I always get them. Mm. So there, I remember there was a month where I applied uh, for certain jobs and I was getting rejection every single day. It's like, I wake up to a rejection. One day I'm like, wait, why is there a rejection in my email? <laughs> right. But for all the jobs that I've interviewed for, I've gotten them. Mm-hmm. So, and I believe that, God has a path for me. Mm-hmm. So I might think there's a certain path for me to, you know, to walk in, mm-hmm. but he takes me on a different path and I end up getting it. And I know it's God. So I, I want to debunk the notion of, so people have this, oh, for me to get to this level, I have to go through consulting. Or mm-hmm. for me to get to this level, I have to go through investment banking. My mom is a good example because she studied English back, no, counseling and English back in school. But she's into outdoor advertising and, and she's doing very well. She took those transferable skill sets. So right from home, my mom always told us, God has the blueprint of your life. Mm-hmm. Whenever you get a no, it doesn't mean that you might not still get it. But it might just mean it's not the time and that's not the plan God has for you at that moment. Mm-hmm. So those no's, there was a particular job I wanted that I didn't get. I was sad. <laughs> I went to, I went out, bought a dress for myself, <laughs> went out to drinks. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to feel bad. But for every job that I get interviewed for, I confidently know that I'm going to get it. So, so apart from having to go out and drink, right? That's what you said. Yeah, I, I went out. I got a dress for myself, and oh, I get took myself it. to drinks. <laughs> yeah, to drinks. I took myself to a restaurant. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so, so that's how you deal with rejection all the time, or not, not all the time. Oh, okay. There, there was a particular job I wanted to get that I knew I was good. Like I knew I, I knew my resume was golden, and I got rejected. I was feeling so bad, but I took myself out. I bought a dress, dressed up. And then went out to a restaurant to have food and drinks <laughs> alone. <laughs> That's but interesting. Most of the time, when I get rejected, I, you know, I counsel myself, saying God has the best blueprint for my life, mm-hmm. and if He won't give me something, He won't reject me for something I'm supposed to have. So if I'm not supposed to have this, it is fine. It'll hurt me, of course, but I don't stop at it. Like mm-hmm. I don't dwell in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, we'll come back to that, but let's let's just go on and talk about another statement you made that you said when you came to Canada, 
you didn't have any friend. Yeah. Um, so how did you eventually choose your friends? And what are the criterias that you use in choosing your friends? Because your friends, the people you surround yourself with, yeah. uh, would have huge impact on you, right? Yeah. And obviously from your journey and from all you've said so far, you've made some critical and important decisions in your career and also in life. Mm-hmm. How do you choose those friends and what are the criterias you use in choosing the right people? I, I tend to have friends for different things. Okay. But... I have a close circle of friends. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to having friends for different things, I, I make sure that I have friends for things that I lack. When I mean I lack, I'm a, I can be a very, very serious person. And I need people to, I need people who like to, you know, have fun the right way because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, have, I have standards and principles. So I make sure that I, I have friends that are outgoing. Um, I also make sure that I have friends from different, from different um, friends with different nationalities because I need to be open-minded. Mm-hmm. In Canada, you have to, you need to survive with the right mindset, mm-hmm. and you can't have friends that are exactly like you all mm-hmm. the time because that will limit your exposure. Mm-hmm. So I make sure that I had friends at from different nationalities, different interests. Um, um, different walks of life Mm -hmm. but when it comes to choosing my close friends my close circle of friends that I go to when it comes to making decisions I make sure that one they they're very motivated Mm -hmm. and they have a very good mindset because that is something I don't want to drink from the wrong post right so I also make sure that they're very matured in how they think I don't have friends that that will sit down and gossip about two-faced and the band for like five hours i don't even have time for such conversations do i do i hear it here and there yes i do maybe we talk about something and we see something that we really like somebody did but i won't sit down right there i also make friends for i also make friends um that have achieved something that i also want to achieve Mm-hmm. So when it comes to making certain decisions or learning about certain things, I go to those people to learn. And apart from making friends, I also have coaches. Um, as, as I keep graduating, some move from mentors to coaches. So I, ha- I have people in the industry where I go sit down to say, hey, this is exactly what is happening right now. Um, they give me assignments. I go back. I take. I go back. I work on them. Then I come back to them saying, hey, this is my thought process. And they help me navigate through that. So it's it's a blend of different things. But for my close circle of friends, I pay attention to who they are themselves. Are they very genuine people? Mm-hmm. Are they, do they want to also see me win? Like I want to see them win. Mm-hmm. Um, are, they, are they also Christians? Because life will hit you so hard, but you need to fall back on something. And sometimes you can't even fall back on your friends because you don't have that experience they're also fearful, right? And you need another backing. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, some of my friends will tell me to go back to the Bible and read about this, right? So I tend to go there and I've joined 
many Christian organizations and also volunteering organizations where I tend to meet people in certain fields that I, that I want to learn, learn from or people that I want to share experiences with so that I can learn from them and they can also learn from me also. Speaking of whenever you walk into a room, when you go for events like networking events yeah. and then you get into the room, you see very few people that look like you. How do you navigate those conversations? How do you connect with other people who don't look like you? Because we, we're in a market where we have very few people who are Black who are in senior leadership positions. And so when we go for some of this networking events, we tend to be the minority in the room. How do you navigate situations where you are part of the minority in the room and you're trying to connect with other people? That's a good question. So whether it's in IV, um, they, it's a, it's a, IV is a very good school that I would always say I'm proud to be an alumni of. They put us in a room right before recruitment season. So they put us in a room and we had um, speed recruitment. So we actually had officials going around taking notes of how you introduce yourself to people because they gave us a fictitious business case and um, you were supposed to walk into the room, introduce yourself. There were about, I think, 100 in the room. So they actually did a good job because they provided feedback individually to each of us. Mm. And um, they their, their career recruitment in school helped with formulating how to introduce yourself. Mm. And because we do a lot of business cases, and we read, we read a lot of, you know, we read, we read about people's experiences through the business cases too, real people experiences. And my professors were very open and, and very truthful. They taught us how to introduce ourselves confidently. Mm-hmm. So I took some of the, I took most of those learnings and all of those learnings, I should say, into the workforce um, when it was time to network at first. You know, I was able to walk up to somebody. Um, if I see that, first of all, I won't go to a place. I won't go. I won't go introduce myself to someone when there are like thirty people gathered around him. Of course, mm-hmm. he will remember faces. So I will make sure that I meet people in smaller groups and start talking to them one on one. I introduce myself. I tell you. Um, I tell you about myself. Now, if it's a if it's a very professional setting, I tell you what I do. But then I tell you what I like, and I ask you questions about what you like to do than than most of the questions revolving around your jobs like people do and I tend from that conversation I tend to gauge what you like to hear and then I tailor my 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 uh, my discussion to what you like to hear now there are times that I've walked up to people I remember waking up to this director and um, I introduced myself and he looked at me and said I don't know what you're doing here Oh Lord. And this guy told me he doesn't know what I'm doing here. And there were about three or four people there that were white. And I thought I didn't hear that. So I went again. I'm like, nope, I'm going to see what I said. I said it again. And he looks at me, ignores me and continues talking to these people. And then I saw one of my friends and I called my friend and I'm like, oh, this is this and this and this. And my friend introduced herself and he, and he answered her. And I'm like, this is this is pure racism. This is this is very wrong. And I told my I, I told my friends about it, and then they go, "Oh, you need to tell somebody." 
about this and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to log a complaint. I'm going to make sure that I leave this place. I'm going to get an offer and I'm going to walk out because apparently I'm supposed to be reporting to the guy. So I told myself, that I got home, I told my mom about it. I complained to her and she's like, Timmy, don't worry. I'm here for you. Just, just go ahead. I told my brother about it. And so there are times when people will ignore you because I always decide to pursue value. Mm-hmm. And I also pray about it to handle things like that mm-hmm. and I ask for God's help. But at the same time, I decide to pursue value. So I, I decided to always go to work with confidence, even though it was hard. There were times where I didn't feel confident enough, you know, to, to really to go to work and do what I'm supposed to do. There are times, of course, I had, re- I had no idea. So I had to always go on coffee chats with, with business leaders outside, you know, outside the company, outside my sphere so I make use of LinkedIn a lot and I would sit down and present them the challenges I was facing and what I could do and these people actually helped me so that was how I was able to really focus on you know what needed to be done in terms of value I decided to not sometimes people act very brash to me and I want to think about so it's because of my skin color and I'm like nope girl just keep going just focus on the value make sure you focus on the value and then work out so the end of the day, I didn't, I didn't go, you know, when you're in a networking session, people want to show themselves and talk about, oh, what the stock price is for today and, and how it fell and, and, and things like that. I would, I will focus on what can I say that would help, what are you currently facing and what do I know about it that could help you? If it's that I, I could introduce you to somebody I know, Mm-hmm. I would definitely tell you, oh, do you know about this person? This is what the person does. Even if I can prefer a solution to what you're going through. Mm-hmm. And there are times when I will not know anything about it. I would take, I, I actually take notes. I go back and read. So if somebody should ask me again, I can answer you. <laughs> you understand? I go back and read. And then I also go for, I attend a lot of conferences. I read, I read a lot of papers because that helps me to, you know, to keep track of whatever is going on. Mm-hmm. So when I'm in a room, I, I tend to focus on, okay, what am I bringing into this room that is personalized to me? Mm-hmm. And I know there have been times I've walked into a room and I've not seen anyone like me. And I tell you, sometimes I get low stock. Like back then, well, I think to, to an extent I've done better. Mm-hmm. But back then, I would have, in fact, low self-esteem. I'll be honest with you. But I, when I open my mouth, mm-hmm. it comes back. And there are times when I also walk into a room and there's no low self-esteem because I'm, like, I'm confident what I'm going to say. I know mm-hmm. who I'm going to talk to. I've read about, about these people. I know it's in this room. So when I meet you, I can talk. So sometimes it goes, it goes both ways. And sometimes I still struggle with it when I'm in a room and I see faces I don't know. <laughs> I see that I'm the youngest, I'm the only black. I have the least experience. I tend to always listen to what people say. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, if it's just one sentence, I will drop. I will drop that sentence knowing that I took a lot of notes. It took me a lot of thought process to, I took me a lot of, uh, it took me a lot of time to put in my thoughts mm-hmm. and then leave that room. Because I had, I had somebody tell me, a senior leader saying, you're not in a room to take notes, which is true. <laughs> Even if you're supposed to take notes, mm-hmm. you're in a room to add value. So when you're in a room and you're there, you're invited, just know that you're there to add value. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. always what I tell myself. And it helps me to an extent. Mm-hmm. 
you also said that you've you've had coffee chats with a lot of business leaders. Yes. For someone who is trying to also do the same thing, can you take us through the practical process of connecting with them from the first time you decide to connect with them, why you decide to connect to that particular person, how you reach out to them, and what you do when they say yes to having a chat um, and what you do afterwards? So, uh, so on LinkedIn, <laughs> I tend to follow people with different experiences, but most of the people I connect with are people that have gone past where I am and uh, where I want to be and got past where I actually want to be. Mm-hmm. So I tend to follow people that I know, you know, are really up there most of the time. I tend to follow them because I want to see if they actually provide what if I can learn from them Mm -hmm. and I tend to read their articles like I continue to read I and then I leave my comments I leave my comment and when I send them a LinkedIn invite um, sometimes I pay for but then I used to pay for premium so when I decide to send them a LinkedIn connection um, a LinkedIn connection I put in what I've learned from their article they're mm-hmm. saying, hey, you know, I read this um, really intrigued. Um, would love to connect with you and learn more. That's one way. And another way that I do is I just take a stab at it. I just send them a connection email. Mm-hmm. And these are people that I'm like, oh, my God, I add. And then I walk away. And they, some of them actually add me back. Mm-hmm. And from that way, I tend to gain like gain more confidence on clicking the connect button to follow people. Mm-hmm. And there are also people that don't connect with me, mm-hmm. which is okay, you know, which is okay. So I tend to do that. And how do I have my message? So I had, I've had great coaches back at Deloitte and fantastic coaches. I mean, fantastic coaches. And um, they helped me with templates of how to approach people, mm-hmm. right? So whenever I also get emails from people introducing themselves, I have a template where I take what they say and I put it there in a sheet. So I actually have a coffee chat template for myself. Mm-hmm. And depending on what conversation I want, I, I, I use that. Sometimes I also go, I browse on medium.com where I get templates mm-hmm. and how to introduce myself to people. Mm-hmm. So I, I use that to carve my message out. Um, I find them on LinkedIn. Sometimes I find them in the conferences that I attend. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I find them on papers, diff, diff, different places. Sometimes they come recommended from a friend saying, hey, you should connect with this person. So I actually connect with them through that. And whenever it's time to, to ask them for a coffee chat, after using my template, I make sure that I go straight to the point of why I'm connecting with them. Mm-hmm. either I, I see you're doing this we really love to know how you maneuver this and this and this or what you're currently working on right now um i could help you like you don't have to pay me this is a side project that i'm really really interested in working on so it shows i'm not just taking from somebody right i, I show okay you know what when we even go on the coffee chat when i when we go on the coffee chat i make sure that i prepare by reading about them 
reading about the topics that I want to touch, writing my questions down because mm. people don't have time. So you have to go straight. I don't do hello. <laughs> I wait for them to reply. People have senior leaders or executives have just, they have little time on their hands. So if you have to use your time, you have to make sure you use it well. Mm-hmm. So I tend to stand in front of the mirror and practice. I remember mm-hmm. writing down what I was going to say for one of the chats that I had. And I was like practicing and practicing. Like, what if this person asked me this way? And there are times where I've gone on a coffee chat where the, the conversation wasn't so friendly because the person was, was maybe cursing about certain things that made them unhappy about a situation we're talking about, you know, and, and it's, it's knowing how to, how to manage such situations where I don't take offense, right? I, I'm trying not to curse too. I don't take offense. I'm like, mm-hmm. pick what you really need and walk away. The times where I go on a coffee chat and then the person dwells on one topic and I have like five other topics, I learn to like take the conversation back to what I want to know. Mm-hmm. And at times where, where, when I'm going for a coffee chat, I tend to buy something small for the person. She mm-hmm. that because I know, Oh my Lord, this person isn't even working my company. They're taking out time. Let me buy you a coffee, please. Don't worry about it. They say, Oh, I'll pay my please. Or take, take, take certain, just take something that, that will show that you appreciate their time. And if I know that, okay, there's really nothing that comes to head for me to, to, um, to, to buy, I tell them, I do this and this on the side. Like if you have an event, I hope you work in guests. I hope you are the cheers. And sometimes these people send me invites. When I get there, I'm actually arranging cheers. You think mm-hmm. I work there, but I'm there arranging cheers. I'm there showing that, oh my Lord, I really appreciate what how you're taking out time to help me. Mm-hmm. And I'm very gracious. And after the coffee chat, you know, I also send them a thank you email with, this is what I learned and this is what I'm going to start doing. My mm-hmm. coach taught me this. So that way, whenever I reach out to them, they can follow up. And also when asking for coffee chat, people are very busy. So the people that I meet once in five months, mm-hmm. and I mean to get that time in five months, I am so excited and elated. And I make sure that I go with an agenda, you mm-hmm. know, to, to, to talk. And I also want to, hear from them because people especially it's sometimes really busy and lonely and 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 consuming up there so they also need to talk about themselves so Mm -hmm. allow them to talk about themselves be genuinely interested in people that going on coffee chat just to get things from people there's really Mm -hmm. a big difference from that and that helps you to manage relationships you've said some very insightful things and i'm sure that our listeners would take notes of some of those important um, nuggets that you've dropped um, regarding connecting with senior leaders and making it worth their time. Thank you. Can you tell me about a time you had no idea what you were doing or maybe a big mistake you made Mm. and how you fixed it or lessons you learned from that? So... I, I mentioned that communication was not my strength. So when I actually started work here, um, I went through a lot of challenges. I'm still going through, sometimes I, I still go through challenges of my communication skills. So I'm trying to improve that. But I remember um, getting on a project at work and the way it was sold to me was exactly not what it was. And instead of me to have voiced out my opinion on, hey, I lack the skill sets, you know, 
do you want to have me here or do you want to bring somebody else that knows it best and as Nigerians we're told you know you're just told it has to be done you're not allowed to express your weaknesses you're not allowed to show that you don't know it but it's something that I'm, I'm beginning to that that experience actually taught me that so I'm like you know what I'm gonna do it I'm, I'm, I'm gonna you know go through it it was a it was a short project I didn't really tell my managers what it was earlier on. So two weeks into the project, they told me to do something. Now, like I said back in, in my previous response, I like to code. I'm not a person that loves to design. Well, I, I did, or well, I still like to code. But right now, after going through the Lord, you need to make that slide pretty. So I didn't really know how to, I thought I could make slides because I worked in the tech industry. Um, I worked in a tech, a tech. Uh, sorry, I worked in a tech company back then. So we always, I used to make manuals and guides for how people could use our tool. But back in Deloitte, it was very, very different. They're very specific. They have, they're granular to the details. And I was not a very, very detailed person. So two weeks into it, they told me to uh, create a deck to address certain business, business challenge. And then I, I made the deck my my superior looked at it and it's like she's like what is this and I and I go it's a deck and she goes this is not what I want so I'm like okay fine I will take you back instead of really asking what she wanted so I was in the office from 8 a.m to 2 a.m working on this deck wow and the next day I went you know I looked at I looked at uh we had a repository of decks so I looked at different decks. Meanwhile, they don't really tell you what the standard is in this repository. So you come across different kind of things. So I pulled different things and I went back to this, my leader. And I'm like, I made a deck. And she looked at it and she's like, this is trash. <laughs> I spent 8 a.m. to 2 a.m. doing that. And she sat down and she was explaining why it was trash. But she thought I knew why it was trash. But at the same time, I didn't know why. And I was too scared you know, to ask why it was trash. Mm. So I kept at it. I, at the end of the day, I had the worst time on that project. Um, I I doubted all my abilities, you know, all, all my life, things have been working well. I did well in school. There were times I failed my test, but I made up for it on my exams. You know, I got the A's. I, I finished with a, with a good GPA. But this was me at work. I couldn't ask questions. I wasn't doing well uh, on my project. My self-esteem went from a hundred to to minus infinity. I didn't feel good about myself. I was working so hard, and my health was taking a hit because I you now ask what the expectations were, why they didn't like what I did, how could I make it better? Mm-hmm. You know, and even though I'll be honest, those people also they weren't willing to tell me. To a certain degree, but if I had asked, they would have told me. But they just expected me to know. That's why they were waiting. I'm like, oh, she should know that. So it was a very, it was a very, very tough journey for me. And during that time, I went back to my previous bosses at work, and I'm like, I'm facing this challenge. I don't know what to do. And they sat me down. So like I, I've had good managers. I've had some managers that were like, ah, but I've had 
tremendous managers that I still look up to now. And they told me, okay, create a checklist for yourself. This and this and this is what you need. You have to ask why you're making this deck. What is it supposed to address? And what the person's expectations are. So that way you're able to customize your work. And whenever I'm, I'm, I used to be a perfectionist. Now I'm, I'm staying away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from me. So I will spend. So when they told me all these things, that I will go back and spend like two hours on one slide, and I'm like, oh my god, the gradient. So it's too, it's too red. No, I don't like the black. I prefer me, like prefer gray. Oh no, the tint is too much. And then I will be there, and I will be freaking out about colors and freaking out about icons. And it will take away from my messaging because I am very fixed on how pretty it looks. So I then ended up spending more time than usual on my work. So I also had challenges where it's like, oh, you're taking, your work is improved, but you're taking a lot of time. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I'm trying to make it better, blah, blah, blah. I've been stalking in and, and, and really feeling bad. And then I went back to my to my managers again that, that I met the previous and I'm like, okay, I'm it's complaining, I'm doing this. And the person's like, how about you you be agile? When you make one or two slides, send me back to them to say, hey, what's your feedback? So that way you are iterative and you're turning out work more and you're turning out work better. So that is exactly what I started doing. And and I'm still doing it up till now. You know, there are times I still get carried away. I'm like, what is going on? I remember my my boss told me to make um to make to come up with with um to come up with a, with proposed solutions to something and i went on a deck i made it very pretty i spent like two hours and i was about to present and then i was like oh hey you know let me present and it's like why did you do it on on powerpoint you should just written in words because it's a brainstorming session <laughs> we're going to cancel some ideas we're going to receive some ideas so you just spent time doing this so it took me back to i should have asked for his expectations and what he wanted so that is something that I'm still learning gradually as I go. What are the biggest mistakes you see international students and immigrants make that, you know, break your heart and how can they fix that? One is um, overconfidence. Okay. So back home, again, I'll make reference is, you know, everybody, you have to push through things that are not really orderly. Some things are not orderly, you know, and they're like, okay, I have to push through, I can do this. But right here, there's a structure and you need to understand the structure for you to know how to win. You need to understand the game plan for you to know how to win. And a lot of international students and immigrants, they don't read the playbook before they come. Hmm. And what, do you mean come by the, what do you mean by the playbook? They don't, they don't read about how the culture, the Canadian culture, you know, you don't read about the industry, the Canadian industry and the marketplace. You don't read about what, first of all, if their degree is enough to get a job mm-hmm. or what they lack mm-hmm. to get that job or what they need to get that job. Mm-hmm. They just feel, oh, I was this back home. I was a sample manager back home. I come to Canada, sweet. I just apply with my resume and I'm good, you know? Mm. And then they come here and they struggle. Mm. They also don't ask about the, when you ask about the culture, then you learn about some of the 
microaggressions mm-hmm. that come with being black, being Nigerian. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you also learn about, if you ask those questions, you also learn about how to position yourself mm-hmm. to be able to win. And because of that, you they come here, you see certain resumes, and you're like, what is going on here? Because the resume format is very different. I remember when I came here, I put my age on my resume and then everybody found out my age in the classroom because we're told to critique resumes. And then and someone is like, why would you do that? What do you think you are? Someone actually told me that and I felt horrible. <laughs> you know, I felt stupid. Mm-hmm. If I had gone to the career center and say, hey, here's my resume. Can you tell me what is wrong? You know, trying to, to use all the resources available and learn about them, I wouldn't have been in that position. Mm-hmm. So the overconfidence in us makes us make these mistakes. Mm-hmm. And then when, when they finally get here, they don't still research about, you know, am I skill set acceptable? So for example, I'm just going to give an example. Yeah. Right. See some doctors come here mm-hmm. and they feel, Oh, I just have to write the doctor's exam, the, the medical exam, I should say, and I'm fine without, understanding what the criteria is, what the requirements are, if it'll be if, if what they have is enough to write that. Or you see an accountant come here and they think, you know, um I can is enough instead of finding about um CPA. Or you see mm-hmm. a finance person come without finding about CFA. Mm-hmm. Or you see someone back home, uh tech tech is still you can still get away with tech, but when you come here and you see cloud is the next big thing, right? Um, um this is the next but that's the next big thing. Data science is the next big thing. 5G is the next big thing. Instead of learning about those things, they go, no, I was a director. I'm fine. I'm good. I don't have to learn that. So people don't check what they need to be able to, you know, move ahead. And then also resumes. Um, again, I made this, I, I slightly made this mistake when I came. No, I wouldn't say slightly. I actually made this mistake when I came. I, I came with a job description instead of um, a, a, a value I could provide. So when you look at certain people's resume, for example, they say troubleshooted a server for tech, or they tell you sales took customers calls. I don't see any value you provided by taking mm-hmm. customers calls because I wasn't there when you took the customers call. Mm-hmm. Like, you did not tell me what the problem was, what you did, and what mm-hmm. the result was. Um, and what the result was. You know, we tend back on, we tend to be very modest about <laughs> all the things we do. But right here in Canada, yes, be modest, but then be expressive of what it is. Mm-hmm. People don't tend to be expressive. Go to, go to a recruiting agency that, 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 um, that you see and tell them, hey, here's my resume. The person will help you work on it. At the same time, I put somebody on LinkedIn to say, hey, you're a recruiter. You know, can you critique my resume for me? You might be looking for a job, but just say, oh, I need you to critique my resume first. So that way, you know, you tend, you tend to learn what you're lacking and how to move ahead. And another thing that, that I'll say immigrants, um, the mistakes they make is some, I won't use the word entitlement and permit mm-hmm. me because I've had people message me on LinkedIn saying, hello. First of all, I'm not always on LinkedIn. But second of all, I don't know what you want. You don't write hello. You go, you go straight to the point. Being cautious, 
pick up templates online and say why you're texting me. Oh, sorry, why you're messaging me. It's mm-hmm. okay. Generous, don't just say hello. And then I've also had, I remember uh, there was a time where someone sent me a message and I opened it without knowing. So I actually didn't know that I'd opened a message. And the person saw that I read it and didn't reply. And the person went, so you cannot help your fellow Nigerian. Wow. You're already proud. <laughs> and I was taking wow. aback. I'm telling you, I'm like, wait, what is going on here? You know, I didn't even see this. But at the same time, I'm really not interested in talking to you because you already have a brash personality. Mm-hmm. So some Nigerians also make that mistake. And another thing that, that uh, um, some Nigerians also do is they see a black person and just assume that they're Nigerians. I have a Guinean friend. She gets, yeah, she gets lengthy messages from people saying, hey, I, I see from your name, you are Nigerian like me. How far? <laughs> I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> even, I, I've learned here that even though someone has a Nigerian name, doesn't mean they, they, they know the culture. They may have been born in, they have been born and grown up in five different countries. So even though they have a Nigerian name, doesn't mean they're, they're, they can relate to some of the Nigerian slangs, you know? And this then begs the question of, do you, do you address people based on their names? <laughs> or, or do you address them based on who they are? So it, it's something that we have to, we have to, uh, we have to, we have to understand that it's wrong. And another thing that I've also learned is try to make friends with people from different races. We, even we as Nigerians, we can be very judgmental. So, so we need to be open to also learn about people's cultures. Exactly. Yeah. We need to be open at the same time. I know being open sometimes means taking a lot of information. You also need to know when to step back to retreat and still find out who you are because it's an ongoing battle. Is this who I am or it's am I a reflection of the things that I've learned, you know, that that I shouldn't be learning. So these are these are struggles that we actually need to understand and and and, and keep and keep learning about. So yeah. yeah. What advice would you give to someone trying to pursue a career similar to yours? Hmm. So I'm a bit biased. And I know <laughs> <laughs> my advice goes against the norm in the industry. Now, for me, I am more focused on being a business data analyst. I don't care about labels. I don't, honestly, when it comes to applying for jobs, I don't even look at the title. I look at, do I love the job? If yes, can I learn from it? Will it take me to where I want to be? And also the pay, I see a good pay, but I've taken a pay card for, for a job to, to learn. So for someone pursuing my career, it means you, if, if you're pursuing being a business data analyst, you have to know your, your business skills need to be sharpened, your technical skills need to be sharpened. I decided to go to Deloitte because I had technical skills, but I didn't have good business skills. So I decided to go to Deloitte to learn that. And I'm still learning, I'm like, I'm still learning from my, from my colleagues at work. Trust me, they have, they have good experiences that, I, that I, I'm still learning from right now. So I would say if you're pursuing that, first of all, your technical skills, you need to master the tools that are needed in the industry. And it's not just enough to know the best neural network. I keep saying this. It's not enough to know how to program the best 
SQL language, which is a database language, it is what problem am I trying to solve and what tools will be applicable. So mm -hmm. if you have a business, if you have a, uh, a business case, having to build the best support vector machine model, sorry, which is a data, data analytics model, might not be relevant. You might just have to build a simple logistic regression model and learn about, okay, what is the impact of, of first of all, what are the challenges? What, are they, what problem are they trying to solve before you go and build a data model? Mm -hmm. So which means when you're taking your technical classes, ensure you're also taking business classes too. Mm -hmm. Don't just take technical classes. Make sure you're taking business classes. Make sure you're interning somewhere to see, you know, how this works. Then if you're also pursuing a career like mine, I would say you need to follow people in the industry that are doing so well. I use LinkedIn for that. I also use Instagram for that. I, on Instagram, I, I, follow, I follow people that add to me. I use it because it's a quick way of, of, um, of, of, of taking in information. So I tend to do that. So I know exactly what is happening in the industry, what I'm learning. And when I follow these people, I see what they've done. I see the books they recommend. And then I can take those classes and, and I can improve myself. But if you want to be a technical data scientist, which means you want to just always code, you don't want to, you don't want to, you, all you care about is just building the best model. I would say, Go ahead and take your technical classes, but you're actually shortchanging yourself because you don't understand what you don't understand what business problem you're really trying to solve. So you're not you're not you're not addressing the main issue that needs to be tackled um, at work. And something else I would say again is if you're pursuing an industry like mine, I I will tell you to be to be to get a mentor or get people you can look up to because everyone keeps screaming AI, 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 but the lot of struggles with being a data scientist, you know, sometimes the data is so dirty that the timeline you have, you can't, it, it, it's too short because the person who set up that timeline doesn't really have an idea of, of how bad the data is when you sold the project. So you have to look for somebody who has gone through that same phase that you can go rob ideas with, you can learn from. That way, you tend to improve yourself and become better as a person. That's what I would say. That's a really good advice. What does fresh stats mean to you? So I already listened to the Fresh Start podcast, and it's a podcast that highlights the struggles, the victories, the challenges, and the opportunity to have a fresh start mm -hmm. at the same time. And I'm very, very, I'm very impressed, I should say. I'm very excited that you started this podcast. And I've been able to listen to people I also look up to through this podcast. Thank and you. even people I've never known, like I've listened to them and I'm like, wow, you know, this is, this is great. And I would love that this podcast gets to people back home before mm -hmm. they move here mm -hmm. or they, they're aware of this podcast while they're here so they can learn and, and be better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Tammy, for your great contribution to the Fresh Start podcast. Thank you.
Thank you for having me. Thank you. So um, I'm going to stop the recording now and then we can have a quick chat before we end the call. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fresh Start. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone you know and love. Please go ahead and subscribe on any platform you listen to your podcast. And also please take a moment to leave us a review because that would help us to reach more audience. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at freshstartorb. If you know any newcomer you think would be a good fit to interview for the podcast, we'd like to hear from you please go to www.thefreshstartup.com to nominate someone. We appreciate you and remember, no matter how hard the past is, you can always begin again. Take care and have a great week.